This episode of Converge with my guest, Dan Rubin, is sponsored by Fast Track Creative. For more information, check out FastTrackCreative.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. In the business of creativity, it's tempting to think that the two primary tasks are making things and selling things you make. And of course, both of those things are true. But once in a while, you come across someone who goes a little higher, flies at a different elevation, where they not only make stuff and sell that stuff, but they are making themselves in the process. My guest today is Dan Rubin. He is a designer and a photographer and the founder and creative director at WebGraph. He's based both in London and is back and forth to the U.S. all the time. And he provides a lot of different kinds of services to the world. But I think what you're going to enjoy most about this conversation is how you might, how it might inspire for you a new way to think about not only the stuff that you're creating, but how what you're creating and how you're creating it could inform how you actually create the brand that lives in the world. That exploration has to be part of that. You have to be lost before you can see the way out. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Dan Rubin, thank you for joining me here on Converge. Thanks for having me, Dane. That was a a lovely intro. Appreciate it. (laughs) Well, it's true. Uh, Dan, you're someone who I had the chance to get to know a little bit as we were both speaking at the same event. It was a a What If conference event in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, There was an immediate camaraderie that happened in our conversations. At least that's how I felt about it. I don't want to put that on you. But I, I, yeah, I'm seeing you nod. Uh, I'll right agree now. with that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm encouraged. And and one of the things I was especially connecting to was both the good work that you do with you, what you create, and also how you put that in the world, how you put the polish on it, so that people can understand what you're trying to do, both for them and for the world, in your creativity. And that's very interesting to me on the, on one hand, but at the same level, you actually kind of have a philosophy about it. You you think well about what you make and how you put it in the world. And I guess to get started, will you just share a little bit about your journey of design and photography and creativity and commerce? Sure. Well, it I, I often think of it as accidental to uh, to a certain degree, um, and it, it, like with many things, when you're when you're following your interests and your passions, you don't necessarily see that you're on a path until you look back at where you've come and then it all makes sense. And that's how it is for me. I mean, I've been a designer now for 20 years and I mean, I, uh, we can get into what that means in a little bit, but I started as a designer, as a graphic designer and doing desktop publishing back in the day where that was a term in my mid teens, just kind of because of, of falling into it, really, which is the way that I feel like a lot of things have developed for me since then. 
back then it was uh, discovering typography and that there was such a thing as a job where you could design the letters. And, and that's something I've still got as something I'd like to do. But the, just the fact that that was a thing made me look at the world in a very different way. And I wanted to be involved in that and part of that. And uh, over time, that turned from being independent and being a freelancer to running a small studio with my brother. Uh, that's Webgraph. And we formed that in 1999. And um, everything that's come from that an original point of saying, oh, here's, here's a collection of things that I really enjoy. And there's a term for what those things are. And people get paid for that. Everything flowed from there. And it's an interesting path that that you take when when you're self-employed from not just from such an early age, but just pretty much always self-employed. Uh, there's no career path. You're not necessarily thinking about a career, and uh, at least I wasn't, not in a traditional sense. You're more interested in a new challenge. What's the next challenge? What's the next thing that's going to interest me? What's going to keep me from getting bored? So the the journey has been always one of collecting more ways of being creative and, and more tools, more, uh, and more knowledge and more understanding that allow me to take on bigger challenges. The photography side of things, uh, is, is interesting as well, because it's always been a counterpart to design, especially in graphic design and, uh, and also then creative direction, which is one of those things that, you know, I evolved into much like I evolved into, uh, interaction design and all these more specific things that grew out of the original graphic design mm. interest. Mm. And uh, photography is something that you know, I've always used. It, it took me a lot of years to feel like it was something that I could actually do. And that understanding came after trying to shoot for a long period of time with really crappy point-and-shoot cameras and not understanding there was a certain amount of technical understanding that was required to make the leap. Yeah. So it, it, I, I, I turned that corner thanks to picking up a Polaroid, an SX-70 of all things. Wow. And wow. that introduced me in one fell swoop to an SLR and to film. And it just happened to be a, an SLR that shot instant film from the 70s. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of like the prelude to digital, really. I mean, it was kind of the instant gratification of seeing. Yeah, well, I think that's what I think there's a reason why I didn't just pick up a film camera. There wasn't that instant gratification. And when Polaroid said that they were going to be discontinuing their film. I just thought, well, I don't want to regret never having shot it. Let me, let me buy a camera and some packs of film. And I was completely hooked right away. Hmm. And of course, immediately started bringing my own photography into the work I did as a designer as much as I could. I think that it speaks a lot to the, the way that I've, I've approached photography since then, right through to, to the challenges that I set myself shooting with things like iPhones, which I do a lot it's a it's a design constraint. It's a creative constraint to use a camera that other people will look down on. Now that's the challenge to me, and, and it was in the early days, but when when uh, when there were plenty of people who looked at you know the iPhone four and didn't see something worthwhile, and because I'd been trying to shoot with the previous ones and not liking it, I saw that this was a huge leap, and now I could do something creative with it. And uh, that approach to photography as a designer. I mean, that's why I think I still refer to myself as a designer first and a photographer second, not just because I've been doing one for so much longer. Uh, it's that I learned to composition as uh, as a designer and, and then kind of in my in my early teens in oils and watercolors. That's where I really learned it. So I, I don't necessarily look at compositions in the same way, maybe as uh, 
as other people do, I'm always looking at compositions and also in somewhere in the back of my head, I'm thinking about how that might be used in something else too, not just as itself, how it might look when it's framed or how it might, how, how some type might sit on it. Uh, that designer's prejudice definitely feeds into my style. So what I'm hearing you say, Dan, is your journey has really been one of exploration with a number of different mediums. You know, you mentioned oils and watercolor when you were young, uh, getting into desktop publishing and specifically from a design perspective. And that made sense for the era, you know, the pre-internet era where getting something, you know, the beginning of the flattening of the world through a personal computer and being able to create, to publish on your own, to the beginning of self-publishing. And now that obviously has morphed into, you know, a multitude of platforms, the ability to publish online, to publish on your own, to make your own physical books, to publish through traditional publishers in new and creative ways, to offer content in whole new packages. And as you've kind of navigated that, you've picked up skill sets along the way. So at the beginning, there was the digital creative desktop publishing. Before that, there was the analog paint and so forth. Uh, now we have, you're adding another texture in the last seven or 10 years around photography and you're putting a unique signature spin on it. You know, given the abundance of people who have access to all those same tools over that same span of time, talk a little bit about how important it's been for you to bring your unique perspective to those instruments that you've been using. I think it's, it's always been important to me to enjoy what I do. That's the the common thread. And so when I say it was, this feels like even starting my first business, being it was a, as a sole proprietor, but that was, it was an accident. I didn't intend to. The job that I found myself in when I was 16 just happened to require me to be a contractor. So I did the paperwork. I, I have, I've been self-employed ever since basically. Um, so, so there's this, there's this weird seeming lack of intent when I look at the the conscious decision-making process that's led to it. But when I look at, at the end result, there's always intent behind it. And that intent comes from, from wanting to see something that I love come out of the work that I do, whether that's any, any of the writing that I've done, which, which isn't much, but, but I always uh, approach that in the same kind of way. Uh, even before oils and watercolors, it was, uh, building 172nd scale models of World War II aircraft. And, and my attention to detail on that stuff was was insane because that's what I wanted to see in the end result. I knew what I, re, what I wanted things to be before I started. And that, I think, is the thread of, uh, of my creativity, no matter what the output is, is that I always have a really clear idea of what I want as the end result before I start. Now, depending on the type of project, that may morph and change. But always there's this clear picture at the end. I've always been able to see what the finished product's going to be before I start anything. When I can't see that, I find it impossible to start. So that's also one of the creative challenges for me is, is when I decide that I'm going to dive into something, the first thing I have to find is that finished picture in my head. But otherwise, I can't even take a first step. Even if it's an iteration, like even if you're going to shift from that end result, you can't really get started until that they have some clarity of, yeah, of a and, direction. And, and I don't want that to come across as saying that I don't like exploration as part of the process. I right. do. Like, there's a lot of times where I'm just stumbling and don't actually know why I'm doing something. But if you asked me to stop and think about it, like if you were able to interrupt that stumbling 
uh, exploration part of, of any of that creative process, whether that's wandering a new city with my camera, which of course I don't, I have no idea what it is that I'm going to get. There's, I'm waiting to actually see that picture in my head. And once I see something that inspires me, I pull the camera up. That's the, that's where those moments come is from, is from the wandering in that way. And much like I, I really need, it's not just enjoy, I need to walk. I, I find it very, very difficult to be not just creative, but to, to think if I'm sitting still or standing still. I love going for walks, always have. I need to be very active and have a lot of motion. And it's because that, like, there, there's, all, there, there's so much stuff going on all at once that it, it, I feel like I'm in a constant search for those, those finished pictures in my head. Yeah. Uh, and that, that exploration is, has to be part of that because you, you have to be you have to be lost before you can you can see the the way out. Well, clearly that intention is translating. I mean, when you look at the popularity of the uh, the the wave people are following you. Like for example, I'm just glancing online at a couple just objective statistics. So if I look at <laughs> if I look at Dan Rubin on Twitter. Um, you're following 609 people, but 33.4 thousand people are following you. Uh, and granted you've done 27,000 plus tweets. So you've been at the game for a while. Um, but what you're putting up is not, I mean, it's an extension of that wandering and it seems very intentional and, you know, and that's nothing compared to Instagram. My gosh, let me pull that one up for a second. Yeah. My Twitter following used to feel like a big number (laughs) until, until Instagram happened. Right. And, and, uh, according to this latest stat, you have 679,611 followers currently, and you're following 177. And by the way, I'm one of those 177. So I'm pretty darn <laughs> proud of that. But, uh, but, uh, uh, in looking at, at those numbers, I mean, that's just an extraordinary, uh, volume of people who are somehow appreciating that intention, like I know we're trying to put words on something that's a little bit nebulous and kind of out of reach, but standing above that bigger perspective, that intentional end goal, even if you're wandering on route to get it, you, you're trusting in faith that it's there and it's worth walking toward. That kind of attention, I'm guessing, might create some interesting temptations for you. Like, are you still creating for yourself? Are you creating for this? remarkably large audience now is it a combination of both and and bet uh, probably a bigger question is why are you doing it like why are you why are you expressing yourself this way and putting it on display for so many people i mean there's got to be some pragmatic value with your your work your business you're drawing in a a crowd but even on a personal level why is why is it so important to express it uh, out loud to the planet well, that's a handful of a uh, pretty loaded Good. Loaded questions. That, that's how uh, that's how I rolled in. That's how. Let's. Uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll see if I can go in reverse order, and if I forget them, you can remind me. I will. Uh, the so so the starting with the um, Instagram audience because that's the the unbelievably large one for me. I get asked a lot like if I if I post things based on what I think people react to, and. I mean, I'd be a liar if I if I said emphatic, emphatically no, never, because I do think about it. Because you see the re- the response to people yeah, yeah, uh, or yeah. to certain posts. Like I know that portraits don't get as much of a response from people who follow me as 
as something with a lot of symmetry and lines and architecture. Uh, uh, but I still love por- posting portraits. Like I'm not not going to post them because they're not going to get as many likes or anything like that. I feel that if people are following me and looking at what I publish, then that must be because they like what I published before or if if they stop following me for any reason, then it's because they don't like what I'm publishing and I, that's okay. Yeah. Like, just like I, I follow only a hundred and some people and it's, and a lot of them are, uh, a lot of my friends I don't follow on Instagram because they don't post things that I want to see. Mm. It's a, it's a very, my, my consumption on that platform is very personal, just like my bookshelf. Like I have books that I want to read or that I have read and I'm not going to, buy a book and read it if it's something that doesn't interest me. Mm. And and I'm okay with that. And if I wrote a book and someone didn't buy it because it didn't interest them, I wouldn't be offended. Right. And that's how I feel about about that material, but it's also because what I share on Instagram, what I shoot is very very personal. And uh and even though the percentage with with something like Instagram, uh, everything I post there is shot on some mobile device, I still shoot a lot more than I post. <laughs> I do take care with what I post. Yeah. But it's, well, but it's a personal place. Let's, let's talk about the care thing. And I realize I'm interrupting my bloated set of questions here for a second. But that's actually something I really want to key in on is you don't just create, you curate uh, when it comes to putting stuff out there. And that seems to have a, a big impact on how people engage, not just you as a human, but, but you as a brand. Uh, there's a real thoughtfulness to go into that. And just talk about that for a second. What goes into that, your mindset? I think it's, it's a good, that's a good place to kind of branch off because that that's the another running theme with everything that I do whether you know you, some people might call it um, you know attention to detail which you know I I've referred to it as in my own work before but as a designer like if I just there needs to be a lot of thought and care in what you produce in order to get it right because when you're designing something it's going to be functional and someone has to use that so you have to put a lot of thought into it with photography as art, which when I'm pu- publishing something for myself to my personal feed, that's really what it is. It's, it's, it's my artistic expression through the camera. I still feel the same way about it. That's my visual voice. So the care that I put into the framing and the edit and even the caption, like every single detail about that says something about how I relate to that image. And if someone's going to see that, I want to communicate what I feel about it as clearly as possible to them. And so the care that goes into that finished product, that represents who I am, even even when it's, you know, there, there are parts of the process as a designer and as a photographer, I think, as any artist, even because uh, design is an art, but there there's so many similarities. There are parts where you have to let yourself be in that flow and in that zone and that gets easier and easier. Is that, is that, the, is that the wandering that you were talking about earlier? That kind of, yeah. you, you know where you're headed, but you have to get on the, like the metaphor of like walking the streets and letting yourself go where you need to go a little That's unconsciously. Exactly. There's a lot of trust involved in that, like trust in, in self. And so that gets easier. I think the more you, in certain ways, it gets easier, the more you learn because you, you know, when you need to be in that place. So I know when I need to get up from my computer and go for a walk. Like, I don't know what I'm going to find on that walk, but I know that I've reached that point. I know when I'm wandering some new city in some new country with my camera, I know when 
I need to bring the camera up and snap something. I'm not thinking about it, but I, I, I know how to recognize that impulse now. And when I'm designing something and I'm playing around with whether it's a sketch pad or in Photoshop or in any other tool, once I've learned that tool well enough that it becomes an extension of me, I can then play with it. And I'm not exactly thinking consciously about every step that's involved. If I see something, if something catches my eye and I don't just snap the picture, if I wait even half a beat and try to think about what it was and then I go back to it, I can't find it. Like I can't actually see it consciously, but I, I was able to process it subconsciously. Let's turn a corner for a second. I'd, I'd like to move from the practical creativity for a second and talk specifically about how you extend that one step further. And I, you know, the language I always, when we're in person talking about this stuff, just as friends, it always, actually you did an Instagram or I think you were riding a bike in New York or somewhere. I don't know where it was. And you said how meta or something like that. Cause you're taking a picture of yourself and maybe taking a picture, riding a bike. Or it was just kind of like, thinking about what you're thinking about while you're thinking about thinking. Yeah. And um, <laughs> in a sense, there's an alignment between the creative doing their work and then the creative putting that in the proverbial, you know, plastic folders and, and sending their book out. Like it's your, it's your brand and the branding process itself is, is a different kind. It's, it's kind of a creative act too. In the same way that you want to accomplish something for a client or accomplish something for your own personal projects, you want to accomplish something for an audience and I, I've heard you say in past things like, you know, th this very intriguing question, like, how do you help people, your audience, the people you want to speak to directly, how, how do you help them think about you in the way that you want them to think about you best? And I don't mean that in a, in a, I, I mean that in an entirely authentic way where it's, it's an accurate reflection of, of both what you're creating and who you are. Uh, but it's also intentional in that regard. Cause I know some good people who do great work, but they're sloppy in their, presentation. I, I think I have myself some way, times that way. And it, I, I get frustrated that I don't think well enough to go, how can I extend the same kind of care that I do with my creative aspects to looking at my brand as a creative project? I think I've learned the most about that process from the, the thing that was my, um, uh, my biggest hobby. It's hard to even call it a hobby because I spent a quarter of a century doing it. And I, I was very, very involved in the world of uh, acapella singing. I, I've actually done that longer than I've done anything other than breathing and eating. And having spent a lot of time on stage and rehearsing and preparing things for an audience, that molded how I perceive the process of preparing anything for an audience. So for me, a, a, an audience, whether it's a virtual audience or, or an audience I'm speaking to from stage or a small classroom or if I'm on stage in an ensemble performing, it's the same. Uh, audiences have an expectation, and that is based on context. And you can also control what they think by what you say, the words you use, what they, what you allow them to see. Well, Shakespeare nailed that, didn't he? Huh. <laughs> you know, huh. This is not an original thought. All the world is a stage, and if you, so the way I approach absolutely every element of it. It's not, it's not necessarily acting, but like when I'm giving advice to people who, who are new to public speaking and they're nervous, you know, I tell them that my trick is to picture not, you know, they're, they're not someone else, but go, when you go on stage, imagine a version of you that isn't nervous and be that person. <laughs> I love that. 
right? Uh, because that's not disingenuous. You're not lying. You're just in your head. You're picturing what you would be like if you were doing what you aspire to, and then just try to do try to do that. Act like that person would. I think we can control a lot of what we how how we think that way, but we can control how our audiences uh, our audience interprets things in that way and interprets us. So not just our work, but if we think about ourselves as a product for our audience, things like I decided to. Uh, that I wanted to spend more time professionally in the world of photography. I'd been given this this opportunity with the audience on Instagram to take advantage of that if I chose to, and I and I chose to. And the, one of the big things I needed to do was if I wanted to take advantage of this massive network of creatives, of both agencies and and everyone that's just re- related to that that I'd built up as a designer. I needed them to stop thinking of me as a designer for a while and start thinking of me as a photographer. They'd been seeing my work for a while, but if they thought about me, they would think designer or creative director. So the first and easiest way I I started doing that was if people asked me what I did, instead of saying designer or saying creative director, I said, I'm a photographer. Or if I said a list of them, it would start with photographer. And it might seem like a small thing, but I also swapped the order of that on any online profiles that I had. So photographer was first because the power of, of the ideas that you plan in someone's head is something a lot of people overlook, whether that's on an interview or in a CV. I've helped friends of mine write CVs, uh, uh, resumes for years because you can, you can control the way people think by what you, what you write in what order you write it and what things you leave in and what things you you leave out. And that's not being disingenuous. It's playing to your audience. And I think there are all sorts of ways. We we do this when we pitch to clients, whether you're pitching as a designer or as a photographer. You try to learn as much as you can about your clients, about their needs, but also about like exactly what it, it was that attracted them to come to you in the first place. And you give them as much of that as you can. You don't tell them all the things that they don't need to know that they're not interested in. You know, if someone comes to you to to shoot a wedding, you don't open up your portfolio of, of product photography. Right. It you know it doesn't matter that you do that too. You you speak to their needs and to what they they want to hear and expect to hear. If you want to do more of one particular type of photography, so for instance, I have a, a really crazy varied feed on on instagram and because of that i don't get asked to do a lot of specific things like a lot of people i know who who focus on either very lifestyle or very fashion related posts on their feeds or focus on travel everything like that mine's a a little bit of a mixed bag so the things that i get asked to do are a little bit of a mixed bag as well but that also that's kind of what i want too but if i wanted a particular type of work i would just start only posting that and after a while that's how people would start to to see me and I think there are a lot of ways that we can do this uh, for ourselves, too. Speaking with a friend uh, who was struggling because what he wanted to start doing, he's a developer primarily. That's what he's been for years, a software engineer. But he's been really interested in uh, user experience design for a number of years and doing that kind of in his own work for a while and wants to do more of it, but wants to leave behind a lot of the software engineering and get into UX design Uh, full on. But he didn't know how to present that to people who he wanted to to interview with. And I said, I said, this is a simple thing. You, when they ask what it is you do, you say, I'm a UX designer. When they ask what you've done, you don't lie to them. You show them what you've done, but 
you have to start thinking of yourself and telling other people about what you want them to think about you as. And that's kind of projecting a little bit. You know, but, it, but, it's, you... but it's very similar to what you described in your creative process. I mean, you know, if, mm. if, I, if I'm going to go wandering the streets of New York City and taking street photography and I've never been to New York before, in a sense, if someone asked me, what am, what am I? I could say, well, I'm a street photographer in New York, even though I haven't done it yet. Because mm-hmm. New, New York is still there. There's nothing new, <laughs> like you say. But there's a new context that you're about to bring to it. And it's not disingenuous to say... This is what I'm, it's almost, it's, it's less saying this is what I've done. It's more saying this is what I'm committed to becoming is yes. what I'm hearing you say. And, and there are a lot of ways that, that again, that's not a new concept. Um, it, it just doesn't get talked about as much in terms of the individual as well, it well, does where, in terms I, of companies. Where I hear it being talked about is, is in more, uh, and I think this is sloppy language. When I hear people talk about things like, you know, and I've done this, like jumping into the deep end when you don't know how to swim in the deep end or, yep. you know, faking it till you make it or and yeah. I, I just cringe when I hear that kind of a phrase because that's not quite right. I mean, you're when back to the metaphor of you wandering the streets of a, an urban context to get photographs, you're showing up to those streets with a skill set, and that skill set is real. And you're applying that skill set perhaps in a new genre or in a new way, but you still have the same sensibilities. You're applying the way you, as you were talking about, you know, plotting the screen in your mind or, or the end product. And you, you have a sense of direction with that and you're stepping into it. Uh, and that doesn't seem like faking until you make it, even though you may never have done that thing before. You're just, you're bringing all that you've been to that and creating something new. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I too cringe at uh, phrases like fake it till you make it, except that it works for a lot of people. So, yeah. and I, uh, I, and I get that, but really it's, it's belittling the process. That's right. Like, That's right. That's exactly that. What I'm looking for is it, it doesn't there, there it's, it's a bigger thing, not a little thing. Uh, exactly. it's a courageous thing when it's done well. And some people do it poorly, meaning they just kind of, they're really trying to pull one over on somebody as opposed to humbly going, no, I'm going all in for this and I'm, I'm going to see what I get. When the, the, the bigger question that I that I always have with that kind of thought process is that it implies that you aren't that thing yet, and forget whether that impacts other, how other people think of you. But how good are you going to be at something if you don't believe yet that you are that thing? Which is an arbitrary point. Like when when do you become a photographer? Like if if you don't have a camera, then you can probably say you're not a photographer. But at what point after you pick up any kind of camera do you then get to say that I am a photographer? As far as I'm concerned, it's the minute you pick up the camera and take your first shot. It's not saying I'm a professional photographer. It's not saying any kind of uh, uh, qualitative Yeah, no, no adjectives, right? Yeah, it's just you, you are versus you aren't. You know, there are some things that you need qualification for, so you're not going to if we're talking about doctors or lawyers or you know, a, certi- a certified professional accountant, yes. if right. you need to be, uh, you know, I, I can't say I am an architect because I would need to, to be certified to become one. I can, but, uh, architecture is something I'm still desperately interested in. And, and one of these days when I decide to go down that path, the minute that I start learning about it, you're in, I'm start telling people that I'm, I'm an architect. And, and because that will help me become that person. Yeah. So, so I want to, um, we're out of time today and I want to honor your time and what I'm getting as we've been talking through this and I, I hope we can, I want to pick this conversation up again, because I know listeners 
they're getting teased into a conversation and invited <laughs> into and peak like interest is peaking here. At least certainly mine is, and I have a hunch others are too. Is because what you're bringing, Dan, is this perspective on the creative process that isn't. There's, I don't hear any shortcuts in what you're describing. I mean, you're talking about a life's work and creating, and then creating, and then creating on the creations. It's it's a very layered, methodical craft that you're engaging here, and it clearly works. I mean, it clearly is benefiting a lot of folks. But I, I guess what I want to do as we finish off is is turning a corner as somebody who is a multi-talented generalist capacity who continually picks one specific task at a time. That's how I see you as this wandering guy who has like this bag of tricks and is a leather bag for some reason uh, that you're carrying. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you get clear and focused in one direction and you go all in and then, but you don't feel encumbered by that. Then you go, yeah, well, I'm still, I'm still wandering. So I can put those things back in my pocket and go target a different uh, kind of end result. For folks that can relate to that sense of, gosh, I'm a generalist. I, I haven't, I'm not known as in one niche in, of creativity that is exclusive. Uh, in fact, I have a very broad sense of interest. And it seems like increasingly that's a big chunk of people. What advice do you give to the, the person who, I guess, isn't just starting out, but they, they have a growing skill set. They have broad interests. And they want to make the most out of their body of work. How do you encourage them to spend their time? so many different directions to go. But the first thing that comes to mind is to acknowledge the connections between everything that you're interested in. Far too few people do that. I, mean, I see the threads go between absolutely everything that interests me because there's a reason why I'm interested in the core that connects them all is me, is my perception of the world and the things that, that get me up in the morning and get me excited. There's some thread, whether it's the music, the design, product design, graphic design, typography, photography. There are so many themes that are pretty basic human themes that attract me to all of those different things. There's, there's absolutely nothing that I'm interested in in my life, whether it's professional or personal, that doesn't directly relate to everything else. And the older I get, the more that's true. But a lot of people will, I think that's the, that's what people fear when they feel like they're a generalist is that, is that they're, they're not deep enough in anything. And I think the opposite is true. I think when you focus on any one of those things, when you're working on a project that where instead of, you know, you're not a generalist when you're working on anything, you're focusing for a little bit, you're now a specialist for that period of time in that thing. And you're pulling all of your knowledge and experience from everything else you've ever done and pouring it into that thing, whether you realize it or not. So acknowledging those connections helps you understand your broader skill set. And for me, at least, it helps me understand and recognize how much more I bring to any of those given areas where I'll focus per project than people who only focused on that one thing and therefore don't have a, a broader perspective to bring. This was episode 017 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. FastTrackCreative.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our Better Together creativity community, the Go Summit, and a ton of other resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for her audio production. And a special thanks to Dan for being with us. Please visit him at danrubin.is.
As always, I want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a big deal, and we are grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time. 